0: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kinyokahage Nation in Chachage, also known as Montreal, Quebec, the original lands of many First Nations, including the Kinyokahage of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. When we engage with and exist in digital spaces like this one right now, it's really important to think about the implications of the forces of colonialism that played such a huge part in shaping this kind of technology. The roots of so much of today's technology stem from colonial motives of surveillance and militarization and control. Understanding the ways in which technology isn't neutral and is in fact entrenched in systems of colonization is a really important process that we all should engage with in order to reflect on our own positionality in digital spaces. To learn what land you're on, go to native-land.ca. Today is just me. No one here is joining me. I'm going to be rambling on for a little bit about something that I'm really excited to talk about and something that I've been wanting to do an episode on for a while. Um, And I feel like I've sprinkled little bits here and there in other episodes, kind of hinting at uh, my feelings about hookup culture and about the idea of sex positivity. Um, And so I'm ready to kind of stir the pot a little bit and dig into some ideas that have been brewing and some ideas that have come up in my own reflections in response to some books I've been reading and some conversations I've been having both in university and outside of it. So today I'm going to be talking about the idea of sex positivity, sex negativity, with another little conversation thrown in there on hookup culture and what it means to be sexually liberated. And I feel like I touch on quite a few things in this conversation, but nothing I'm diving super duper deep into. But I wanted to make sure I was leaving in for a lot of nuance and a lot of open ended questions that hopefully some of you. Will provide answers to, or maybe like throw some questions back at me once this episode is out in the world. Um, So I'd love to hear from any of you who have opinions, or even people who don't have opinions and just like wanna wanna chat about it, Um, because this is a pretty big conversation, and I feel like. There's a lot of different stances that I've had on it in my life, but I haven't always been able to vocalize it or put the words to how I feel about it. Um, And when I'm saying it, I mean the culture of sex that I grew up with, the sort of culture that we're in right now regarding sex positivity and sexual liberation and the idea of hookups. I think that my position has changed quite a bit throughout my life. And so I just want to bring... A conversation that is gonna be open-ended but also that's gonna reflect my own thoughts and my own experiences that I think are pretty common and that I think a lot of people might relate to and maybe you just don't know how to voice it because i was in that position for a long time of having certain feelings about stuff and not knowing how to express that or how to navigate those kinds of conversations without sacrificing bits of myself or bits of my values in the process so yeah this is my weird attempt at having this conversation with myself into a void of hopefully excited people (laughs) that are listening to this um and so yeah just keep in mind while you're listening that obviously it's hard to have every single level of nuance when you're one person talking into a microphone alone in your apartment (laughs) so I'm doing the best I can and I feel like I uh, the ideas that i'm going to share today are very much reflective of my own um stance on this conversation but i'm always open to hearing other perspectives and i would love to hear from anyone who's willing to share so let's just get right into it i wanted to start the conversation by talking about the language of sex positivity versus sex negativity and how many implications are sort of interwoven into those very words and my inspiration for this examination of language and how we use it especially when talking about sex and sexual liberation came from a conversation with one of my dear friends who lent me a book that I've been using as a resource for, um, research for this episode. I'm not fully all the way through the book, but I'm sprinkling a couple little things here and there from it. Um, it's called Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. And it's by Angela Chen. Um, and it has been so interesting to me and I've loved, loved, loved the expansiveness that it's brought to my own perception, of conversations about desire and about attraction. And so I thought it was fully necessary to use it as a resource for this episode. And the main point that, um, that I wanted to talk about first was the first conversation that my friend and I had in regards to this book when they were introducing it to me and telling me about uh, her experience of reading it and of sort of reflecting on what it meant to her as an individual. Um, we were talking about the very language used for sex positivity and instead of being quote-unquote sex positive being pro-pleasure which was just like this whoa moment for me I think for both of us that really expanded my understanding of pleasure in general and of how we construct language in order to fit the sort of culture that we're living in. Like right now, it being a very quote-unquote sex-positive culture that is also a culture of hookups and of casual sex, we can kind of see how those things are intertwined and how using language like sex positivity as a descriptor for a certain stance on how we view sex in society in current context how we view casual sex and how we view hookups and how being sex positive means to be totally on board with the structure of hookup culture at the moment i think that the language of sex positivity is really packed with a lot of implications regarding like who are we who are we speaking for who are we lumping into this category of people who are sexually liberated and people who are sex positive what perspectives are we missing out on who are we not including in this sort of label of sex positivity and so i've just been thinking a lot about that in connection to the concept of pro pleasure and how instead of being sex positive which comes with a lot of baggage we are pro pleasure meaning that we are encompassing all types of pleasure both sexual and non-sexual which is a much more inclusive term for not only asexual people, but also people whose pleasure, whether sexual or not, is not often recognized or represented or prioritized. I'm thinking of queer people, of women, of people in the kink community, of people who generally don't see their sexual liberation in mainstream society and it's not often talked about and so by not being sex positive or sex negative we can just be pro-pleasure pro-pleasure in whatever kind of way that that might show up for us whether that is in how we eat our food or how we hold our friends hands or how we get dressed in the morning, how we might pleasure ourselves sexually. It's indulging in the sensual, beautiful, connectedness of the human experience and I think that that term really just took my understanding of sex and of desire and of attraction and of just pleasure in general it really took it to the moon in the best way possible and I'm hoping that I don't know maybe this is a really revolutionary thing just for just for me but Seeing it that way has really shifted my own perception of how I understand my own relationship to desire, and it's also really expanded my understanding and my awareness of other people and their relationships to desire and to attraction. So now that I've kind of introduced that little tidbit, I want to sort of backtrack to what I said about sex positivity and what is considered sex positive in the current culture that we're in right now. So I'm going to be diving into hookup culture and my headline for this part of my notes just says disguising social pressure as sex positivity. And like that sentence in and of itself is a little bit limiting. I don't think that there's a whole lot of nuance in it, but I'm going to slowly kind of dissect my stance on this and I'm so open to criticism and so open to disagreements, but I just want you to hear me out because I feel like this conversation can easily get a little bit misconstrued and a little bit heated because the sex positive movement is something that I'm super on board with in some ways and in other ways, I'm kind of like, "Mm, are we approaching this conversation in the best way? And are we really prioritizing individual desires and consent in this conversation? I don't know. (laughs) A big point that I wanted to talk about that I kind of understand is true is that hookup culture, the way it is right now, is really a social response to purity culture. And if you don't know what purity culture is, one of the authors of the books that I'm referencing in this episode, Donna Freitas, I think I'm saying her last name right, um, F-R-E-I-T-A-S, wrote the book The End of Sex, how hookup culture is leaving a generation unhappy, sexually unfulfilled, and confused about intimacy. And she defines purity culture as an ostensibly heterosexual culture that revolves around waiting to have sex, or in some cases, even a kiss, until marriage. And she explores it a lot more in depth in um, her 2008 book, Sex and the Soul, Juggling Sexuality, Spirituality, Romance, and Religion on America's College Campuses. And this book of hers really centers on the study that she did on the interconnectedness of sex and hookup culture and religion and spirituality in American evangelical colleges. And I haven't fully read that book either, but I am a big fan of The End of Sex, again, No book is going to encapsulate everything and there are things that I I do feel like should be criticized about this book. But in general, it's a really, really interesting examination of, uh, of hookup culture and how much it's shaping our relationships with each other and with ourselves and with our own sexuality and desire. So highly recommend that. Um, But yeah, that's her definition of purity culture. And I think a big reason why hookup culture is the way it is right now is because of the way we're taught about sex, which is so largely impacted by purity culture. And like I talk about in my sex ed episode from a little while back um sex education focuses so much on the dangers of sex like stis and pregnancy and the fear of sin if you're religious and it doesn't focus enough on the pleasurable aspect of it and so by focusing so much on the dangers of sex it creates this culture of shame rather than of empowerment for teens and for adults engaging in sex or curious about engaging in sex And because of this, the central focus of sex becomes preventing the quote-unquote dangerous outcomes instead of the actual present experience of sex, which involves consent and pleasure and desire and mutuality. The conversation of sex should be about what we as individuals want to get out of sex if we even want to be having it at all. And I almost feel like our acceptance of hookup culture is directly a response to purity culture because of how hard it hits us and how much it affects our understanding of sex. So much so that we just accept this norm that is actually maybe a little bit problematic. As Donna Frida says in The End of Sex, the hookup has become normative and hookup culture a monolithic culture from which students find little chance of escape. It is the defining aspect of social life on many campuses. To reject it is to relegate oneself to the sidelines of college experience. It's like if we don't engage with this culture, if we're not casually hooking up, if we're not having casual, quote-unquote, liberatory sex that's going to empower us, then we miss out on this whole experience. That's seen as this sort of rite of passage of becoming an adult, of becoming a sexually liberated person, which I just think is so wrong on so many levels. I think that assuming that everyone is going to feel empowered and enjoy and feel sexually liberated by the same exact experience right now, it being really emphasized on the hookup limits so much to the conversation of what it means to be liberated, of what it means to enjoy sex, if we're even wanting to have it at all. Just like purity culture is dangerous and harmful to people's sexualities, hookup culture is just the same. They both have different impacts. Purity culture is really focused on shame and fear of sin and really centers Christianized understandings of sexuality and gender and desire, Um, And hookup culture really being focused on standardizing hookups as the assumed normal activity in order to connect with people and in order to be accepted. But both of these cultures, no matter how different they are, they both breed similar results. A culture that disempowers people from making their own conscious choices about sex, reflecting on their individual desires, asking themselves how they want to engage with sex, if at all. It creates a culture that does not leave room for individual desire and individual choice and agency. And this is what sex is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be about having a good time and about expressing your desire and about consenting and about being excited about whatever it is you're engaging with it's not about entering a rite of passage whether that means saving yourself to marriage or hooking up with X amount of people in your first year of college both of those choices are so valid but what I'm trying to say here is that you should be free to make those choices for yourself a culture should not be telling you to choose one or the other Sex is a really subjective experience, we all have our different experiences and understandings of what sex means to us individually, whether we're super down and liberated by hookups and casual sex, or maybe feel more empowered by the idea of monogamy. The important thing is that we're able to choose for ourselves. And when there's a specific social norm about sex, or about anything for that matter, pressuring us into a certain mindset, it makes it harder and harder for us to freely choose for ourselves. And that is my issue with hookup culture. That is my issue with any kind of culture that's telling people how they can and can't have sex and how they should or shouldn't feel liberated. I think the current idea of sexual freedom and autonomy is often disguised as empowerment, when maybe actually sometimes it's just a performance of your sexuality because you've been conditioned into thinking that's how you should feel empowered. And this is all wrapped up in ideas of gender and who we should be having sex with and how we should be having sex. The whole idea of a slut phase as being a rite of passage and supposedly really empowering for people who engage in it That's just another way that culture creates this weird narrative that we're supposed to follow when you're hot and young in your early 20s and you're supposed to be having all of this casual sex. This is just as harmful as the narrative that we were told however many years ago that we need to save ourselves and stay pure until marriage so that we can properly please our husbands. These narratives are both really different, but they both have the same intention of disguising themselves as empowerment for people when really they're just trying to control people's sexuality. I wanna shift the conversation a little bit and talk a little bit about hookup culture in connection to queer sex and queer liberation. And a conversation that I think should be its own thing, its own whole episode with somebody who has direct experience with this is talking about the hookup culture for gay men and for people who have sex with men that are queer, including bi and trans men, and what this culture means for queer liberation. And I don't think that I'm the one to guide this conversation, but I did want to bring it up because I do think that it's a whole other wormhole that we could really dig ourselves into. Um, But I wanted to reference an article that I was reading in preparation for this episode, um, written by Jack Turbin, written in 2018, so it's a little dated. um, But the article is called, We Need to Talk About How Grindr is Affecting Gay Men's Mental Health. One line in particular stuck out to me, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, The author is talking about Grindr, who, for those of you who don't know, um, Grindr is an app. Uh, It's a location-based app to connect queer men with one another, usually having to do with sexual encounters. And he calls, the author calls Grindr, um, the rise of the underground digital bathhouse. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, I'm going to give just like a mini little history lesson of the importance of the bathhouse. Bathhouses have historically been used by queer men as a place for sexual encounters. It dates all the way back to the 15th century. In a Western context, bathhouses have been used since like the 19th, early 20th centuries as a meeting place for queer men to have sex out of the public eye when being queer was still illegal. And so the bathhouse symbolizes quite a lot of queer history in the context of queer men and queer male desire. And so the author's reference to Grindr as the underground digital bathhouse I thought was really interesting because I feel like it's hinting at a lot of really interesting explorations into how queerness is still very much under the covers, underground, hidden from the public eye through apps like Grindr and how this sort of culture is being reproduced century after century and how that's all wrapped up in notions of fear of the gay predator and needing to hide sexuality and I think that this is a really big conversation and I'm kind of just wanting to bring it up to bring this specific perspective because I think that it's so interesting and I think that it's so relevant And I find queer hookup culture especially interesting because it's got so much history to it and there's so much weight behind this sexual encounter scenario and what this all means for the expression of desire and of attraction and of sexuality for people who have not had the opportunity to choose for themselves how they wish to have sex with people. Anyway, quickly getting back to the article that I was referencing um, that Jack Turbin wrote. He basically, he's a psychiatrist and he's talking about the mental health impacts that Grindr has on gay men and on queer men who use Grindr as an app to connect with people. And he really just digs into the psychology behind all of it. So if you're interested and if you use Grindr, maybe this article would be interesting for you. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely more to say about queer hookup culture, but I think I want to leave it at that and maybe leave it for a bigger conversation with somebody else that could provide a lot more insight than I could. But I did want to bring that up and I do think that it's important to think about the implications of hookup culture for people who have historically and currently not had the chance to experience sex the same way that heterosexual people have and this includes people of different gender identities, this includes trans people, bisexual women, bisexual men, anybody who exists outside of the heteronormative bubble that society loves to push us into. I also, I want to shift the conversation once again and talk about hookup culture in the context of the sexual liberation of women and my mom actually really recently, Um, sent me an article talking about um, the nuances of understanding the sex positive movement as potentially problematic for women and their sexual liberation Um, the article it talked about a lot but it made the argument that sex positivity has largely centered the idea of saying yes to everything rather than tapping into one's own desires and following the status quo of casual hookups even if that's not what they really want And I already kind of talked about this, but I wanted to bring up the article because it was one of my little pushes to do this episode. This was only a few days ago that my mom sent me this article. And I thought that there was other stuff in there as well that I thought I would bring up having to do with kink. Um, and how mainstream, might I say, misconstrued conceptions of kink have entered the sexual lives of so many people without them actually consciously consenting to it. The example the article gives is this couple who is having sex And without communicating or just kind of assuming that their partner likes to be choked or likes to be spanked without there being a conversation and just because they think that they should be into it based on what they've seen in porn and what social media is talking about and the sort of like buzz around quote unquote kinky sex. And then eventually this couple has a conversation about it and they're both like, oh, I'm not into that. I was just doing it because I thought we had to or I thought you were into it. And I I have so many thoughts about this. And I think that this is a huge part of the problem of misunderstanding kink. And I don't think appropriating is the right word. I was trying to figure out the right word for this. Maybe it is. I'd love to hear from somebody who has an opinion on this, um, but of misusing kink as a form of sexual play whether this means being tied up or being choked or spanked or a whole plethora of other things misusing in the sense that there's not a conversation going on and there's not actual consent to it and i think this carries a lot of implications for people who are not only the people who are engaging in sex that's involving this kink but also has a lot of implications for people who are actively a part of the kink in the BDSM community. It sort of oversimplifies the idea of kink or BDSM play in the sense that it isn't rooted in the values entrenched within this community having to do with consent and mutuality and open communication. At the very core of kink is consent. And so engaging in these sexual acts without communication, they're not fully consensual. Engaging in a sexual act just because we think our partner maybe wants us to or because of the way that we've seen sex and kink be represented in film and TV, that's not fully consensual. And so not only does this misrepresent and potentially harm people who are a part of the kink community and the way we perceive them, it harms our relationship to our individual sexuality as well as whoever we're having sex with. If we're pretending to like something for the sake of our partner or for the sake of being accepted by society without there being communication about it between us and our partners... Consent is not a part of the interaction. This is a huge red flag. Consensual pleasure is what it's all about. And that's why I think it's important to be pro-pleasure, as Angela Chen has taught us, rather than be sex-positive or sex-negative. Being pro-pleasure is encompassing of all of our desires, whether they be sexual or not, and it also leaves room for us to be curious and for us to explore our attractions and indulge in our sensuality, not necessarily in a sexual way, but in whatever way we want. I feel like this is a really good place to end the episode and one last thing, maybe the little takeaway for us this week, I'm going to ask us all the question, how can you be pro-pleasure this week? Find a way to be pro-pleasure in your life, whether that means having a cute little sexy time with yourself or eating a really good crunchy apple or enjoying the feeling of being in a really warm bubble bath. Indulge in some of those sensations. I had so much fun this week. Thank you so much for listening and for hanging out with me. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can connect on Instagram at thelily.pod. And I'd always love to hear your thoughts, any disagreements, criticisms, things you agree with, things that you just want to chat about. I'm super, super down for any convo that you're into. So feel free to reach out. In the meantime, have a beautiful, pleasurable week. Pleasurable? Is that a word? (laughs) Pleasurable week